This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle. Back once again with co-host uh, Dan Murphy, fellow senior writer. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm uh, back back again, so I have no complaints. Yeah, and we were just talking before we came out of the air. You, you've been doing a little bit of uh, traveling. Uh, I, I saw some of it on, on social media. Uh, you ch- checked out uh, some Ring of Honor shows and kind of potentially the, the next generation of Ring of Honor stars, right? Yeah, they did a uh, kind of a tryout in camp type thing uh, in Baltimore at their new dojo. And they did two days, uh, kind of all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And ended up being like 12 to 13 hours each day. And uh, I had a friend who was going and I accompanied my friend to the camp. And, and the staff at ROH was good enough to let me kind of hang out and be a fly on the wall. And it was great because you had about, say, 60, well, roughly 60 different wrestlers and managers, valets, referees who had attended. And uh, they all went out there. They did some drills. They cut some promos. They did some matches um, over the course of two days. And you had uh, a staff, uh, Delirious, Bully Ray, a few other people from Ring of Honor there, Joey uh, Mercury, um, really ripping everybody down. And, and in, in a really brutally honest constructive way and it was really fantastic to watch because there were some prominent names on the independence there um you know I, I won't go into who or anything like that because it was kind of a private camp but it was really good to see these people come out here and in the feedback of a guy like bully ray and joey mercury and uh and, and even delirious who's just really amazing in terms of uh selling and storylines and character development and it was really a pretty phenomenal two days. And uh, my, my friend who I was traveling with had a sterling performance. I was really impressed. Uh, but I think there's maybe six or seven people that came out of that uh, camp that you're going to be seeing on Ring of Honor TV in the near future. So uh, number one, like if you're uh, an aspiring wrestler or, well, not an aspiring wrestler. If you're a wrestler who's got a little bit of experience and you're looking to get into Ring of Honor, if you're a experienced referee, valet manager, the next time they offer one of these, um, I would definitely recommend you go uh, because like I told uh, Bully Ray and I told, um, uh, what's his name, Ian Riccoboni, uh, the announcer from there. Uh, basically, I've been in wrestling locker rooms for over 20 years since I've been with PWI from WCW to WWE to Ring of Honor to Impact to the NWA, Shimmer, and, and down the list. And in two days, I heard pretty much maybe everything I've, I've heard or experienced in terms of being kind of a fly on the wall in my, my wrestling background was, was condensed down like 20 years of experience of hearing all the good things to do uh, was really broken down over two days. So man, I mean, in terms of a learning experience for a wrestler or anyone who wants to get into the business, it's absolutely worth doing. So it was a really fun time. It was uh, it was eye opening. It, It had some, some long days and a lot of long travel, but uh, it was worth it. Did you sense that they ended up driving away uh, some people? I mean, yeah. as you said, brutally yeah. honest, but for some people that could be pretty discouraging, I guess. It, it was. And for some people, some people went who weren't prepared to be there. 
And on one hand, you've got to admire their, their kind of gumption, like, hey, they, they want to reach for the stars and they really want to make it to Ring of Honor and be on national TV. And, and that's great. I mean, everybody should have those aspirations. But, you know, if, if they get there and they don't really understand how to be a, a baby face or a heel, if their gear's not good, if their physique's not good, and they can't throw punches and things like that. Um, I mean, I, they didn't, they really went out of their way. I, I don't think they really tried to embarrass anyone. Uh, unless it was somebody who kind of really needed a little bit of humbling. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that what they really did is they made people take everybody, take an honest look at themselves and say, you know, am I good enough to be a star on national television? And, uh, you know, very few people are. And, um, you know, it, it gave everybody who came out of it something to work towards and, and a lot of, uh, like, uh, I think it was delirious to have the line in the beginning. It was, uh, everybody's going to walk out of here a better wrestler than you walked in. And I think that was 100% the, the truth. Yeah. So uh, it was it was interesting. Yeah. And for, for better or for worse, sometimes people need to be driven away for, for their own good. I think we've all watched, like, you know, uh, American Idol over the years where they have, like, the, the tryouts. Uh, and yeah. you see some folks who are just horrendous singers. And the reality is no amount of uh, a training or practice is going to make them um, acceptable singers, and sometimes you just need that that hard dose of reality there, that this is not what you should be doing. Right. There was one wrestler there, and I won't say his name, but he went in, and what they did on this this one day is randomly they had an interviewer stop somebody on the, the way to the ring and, all right, cut an unscripted promo, like off the top of your head. So here you have these wrestlers who are nervous. They have to do a five-minute match. They have to stick to their time, and, and they know if they go 5'10", you know, they're, they're going to get ripped apart because we're a TV product and you have to stick to your time. So you've got to be able to make this. So they're nervous and they have a lot going on. And then they throw this X factor. If somebody comes up with a microphone and you have to cut a promo on your opponent, one wrestler came out and said, you know, I think it's obvious. Everybody can tell I'm the best person here. But typical heel promo, it was fine. But wrestled the match and had a lot of problems. There were some kind of blown spots. They got through the end of it and, and Bully Ray at the end of the match says, so uh, in the beginning, you said that it was obvious you were the best person here. Do you still feel that way? And the guy kind of stammered and says, well, you know, I, I think so. It's like, okay, uh, yes or no. Are you the best person here? Like, is that obvious? And again, he stammered and said, well, you know, my character would say, he goes, no, yes or no. Are you the best person here? And he hesitated. And Bully Ray said, you know, don't try to be friends with these people. Every single people, the person in this room is trying to take one spot. And I'm giving you an opportunity. Tell me that you're the best person here so we can give you that spot because they'd all slit your throats for the spot, you know, if, if you don't. So are you the best person here? And again, he hesitated and he kind of said, no, I, I guess I'm not. And Bully Ray kind of shrugs and says, well, you had an opportunity. You know, everybody can have a bad match. But if you come out here and say that other people deserve the spot more than you, then you don't deserve the yeah. spot. Yeah, and wow. it was really eye-opening for a lot of people. But like you said, it is that kind of tough love uh, thing that you see with like an American Idol or anything like that. And and if anybody could can do that, it's Bully Ray. I mean, I've talked to him myself. Oh my and god, yeah, he's a intimidating, yeah, intimidating guy everybody. and super smart. You know, he he really has an incredible uh, insight. And in, I, I mean, as as much as he is still very much a factor in the business and and doing well in the Indies and Ring of Honor, uh, I sort of feel like. His legacy might come when he's done after uh, uh, in the ring uh, because 
he's got so much to contribute from an intellectual standpoint. Uh, but man, super scary. Absolutely. And he did so much behind the scenes with ECW back in the day. And he's doing so much with the team 3d Academy right now. I mean, he, he has a lot more to offer that, that the fans never see, you know, that, that he's really kind of, uh, given to the, the business. And, uh, I think like you said, like that's his real legacy, I think. All right. Well, it sounds like you had a good time and, uh, we've got a lot to talk about, uh, here later on. I can feature an interview with uh, Lanny Poffo, the genius, who is promoting uh, 350 Days. Um, we had Evan Ginsberg here uh, on a few months ago talking about Bruno San Martino. He, he brought up 350 Days. It's a movie that he is helping produce. It is a documentary that I think uh, is going to be uh, released through Fathom Events. Um, July 12th, yeah. So that is... Um, Thursday, uh, and they've got a premiere coming up here in New York this week that I hope to be able to attend. Uh, Lanny's a big part of the movie. A lot of people just know him as the Macho Man's brother, uh, but he really had um, a, a real kind of pioneering career in a lot of ways, and we go into it some. I mean, he was one of the, the, the earlier guys in WWF to show off kind of an acrobatic style, sort of the cruiserweight style before there were cruiserweights. What's that? He's been credited by some. Uh, he, I've heard people say, and I don't, I, I can't validate it, but I know that multiple people have said it, that he's the first person to ever use a moonsault in yeah. the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now he, I know he used to do the forward somersault. I don't remember the backward ones specifically, but he I would. I think he'd do it from the second it. rope, though. Okay, so that yeah. might be it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah, I mean, I remember in in the early '80s, uh, mid '80s. When guys, it was such a foreign thing to see people work that style. And also a guy who really made most of his career being an enhancement guy, making other guys uh, look good, and took a lot of pride in it and uh, talks about it. So uh, I had a lot of fun talking to him about his career, uh, his brother, and the movie 350 Days, which is going to be uh, out in theaters uh, this week. Uh, so tune in for that. Um, also, want to talk a bit about... Uh, the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, just dropped digitally, I think late last week or early this week. Uh, it's the October issue. It's got Brock Lesnar uh, on the cover and um, talking about uh, the greatest matches in SummerSlam history. I had a really fun assignment of putting together uh, the best match in each SummerSlam over uh, 30 years. And uh, one of the things that uh, surfaced out of that was that Brock's been on a tear at SummerSlams uh, in this second run of his career. Uh, you know, him not working a lot of matches. Usually there's a, a featured match at WrestleMania that he's part of, maybe one or two here or there, and then a big match at SummerSlam. And he has really come through against uh, a number of different opponents over the years. Uh, so he comes up a, a lot. Bret Hart comes up a lot. You know, those first uh, seven, eight years of SummerSlam, Brett was just tearing it up, um, had a, a series of great matches, uh, including what I think is the greatest SummerSlam match uh, ever, and you can uh, check out the feature to see what that is, uh, and a lot more. Also in this issue, uh, I've got a, a feature uh, maybe particularly relevant uh, this week, given uh, some of the events of this weekend that we'll talk about, um, about MMA stars uh, crossing over to pro wrestling, and there's been a lot of them. Uh, Ronda Rousey, who worked here in New York at uh, Madison Square Garden over the weekend, uh, and several others. Tom Lawler, who I, I talked to and hope to feature uh, here in the coming weeks. Matt Riddle, Shayna Baszler, uh, many more. So it's a fun look at uh, the trend, why it's happening, what uh, MMA fighters have to offer in the pro wrestling ring. Um, what else is in here? Uh, my interview with Cedric Alexander. I had a busy uh, uh, several weeks putting together this issue. 
so uh, one I'm particularly proud of and definitely want you to check out. And the way to do that is to go to pwi-online.com. You can pick up the one issue. You could subscribe. Uh, the longer you subscribe for, the deeper the savings. Uh, you could also, in addition to the print edition, you can get the digital edition, uh, which is a little cheaper uh, and gets to you a little faster. You could get the October issue right away, and I think it's going to be a little while before it's available uh, on newsstands or arrives in your mailbox. Um, and uh, we should talk about it, Dan, the next issue uh, in a few weeks after this one. We're putting it together now. Actually, just uh, last few days, uh, finished my part of it. Very proud. Might be a, a oh, world good, record good. for me. Are you done? Well, right now I have 15 more bios to do. We're talking about the PWI 500, of course. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the way I've been doing it is I'll typically write from uh, number 250 to 500. So I do a lot of the back end of the list. Um, but and normally I'm pushing right up against the deadline. I'm always struggling. And, but this year I, I just decided to kind of buckle down and try to bang out 20 or 25 bios a day and, and really try to you know get done ahead of time. So I'm almost there. Hopefully tomorrow I'll be all finished. Yeah, same here. I, I, you do the back end, I do the front end. I got the uh, first 50, including the top 10, which are the longest ones. Those are the, the, the page-long ones. Yeah. And um, I don't know about you, but, but I think maybe one of the reasons – uh, I was able to knock it out relatively quickly is I was really enjoying it. You know, I think it, it, this is a real fun one and uh, kind of really uh, diving into these profiles and the years that these wrestlers uh, have had. And another thing I think is um, certainly for me, and, and, and I know maybe uh, you have been able to immerse yourself more in the past, but now with the, the availability of uh, wrestlers uh, uh, kind of highlight reels from all over the world, it, it, you could really like see this stuff, right? I mean, it's easier to pull up matches and people's finishers and really get a sense of, I mean, it's one thing if you're doing something for Dolph Ziggler or something like that, but when, especially when you get into the international guys, maybe guys you're not as familiar with, um, to, uh, uh, it's great to be, I'd be able to watch it. So it, it's the most work, I think it's fair to say that we have all year for, for the magazine, but in some ways also the most fun because, it's our uh, job to put this together to watch wrestling and lots of it. I mean, you just, and, and different kinds of wrestling and different styles and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, do you have your, uh, your take, your annual take? I haven't written the take yet. And it is a good point that you made. Um, there's definitely the, the availability of the internet makes it a little bit easier to write uh, a lot of the, the information. It used to be like drowning in videotapes, right? Well, when I first started, it, um, it was a lot of stuff that was mailed in. So it, yeah. was, it was written letters and packages that the office would send to me that, that you know, people would submit it. Um, but it was hard to kind of validate things because, you know, you might have a wrestler that you never heard of claiming he won all these titles and promotions that you had never heard mm -hmm. of. And, well, you know, what's, what's real, what's not real. You know, there are a lot of backyarders who were doing things. You really had to kind of vet people a bit. You still have to do that. You have to know. But, I mean, at, at this point – there's not a single person in the 500 who I've never seen before. Um, and, and there's maybe 200 people uh, who aren't in the 500 this year that I've seen and, and they're on my radar and I'm keeping an eye on and not just me, but I mean all, all of the writers as well, because we get feedback from everybody and there's a lot of guys people have mentioned and said, Hey, you really ought to check out this guy. We ought to consider this guy that, that just didn't make the cut. Uh, part of that is because again, like you said, the internet is, is there and we're a lot more aware of the talents in Japan, in England, in Europe, in Australia, 
um, things like that that's, that's taking up more spots. But also you have all the people who are on the WWE roster with both brands and NXT and Impact and Ring of Honor and the people who just kind of have, especially Impact, um, they have a lot of people who appeared on the show this year who aren't under contract, but they're on national TV. They're doing a lot on the indies, and they've raised their, their prominence. Uh, then the international talents and everything else, and, and you, before you know it, 500 is, is not that yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, uh, I think, again, Ian Riccoboni at, at Ring of Honor had said something along the lines of, let's just say off the top of our head that there are 10,000 pro wrestlers out there you know, all vying for spots. And I don't know where he got that number, but as I thought about it, it, I believe that's probably pretty accurate. So when you see the top 500, somebody's like, oh, I'm number, you know, that guy's number 490, you know, he, he must be terrible. No, I mean, he's still an elite wrestler in, in you know, such a, a large sampling of people who are out there in the sport today, you know? So yeah. it's pretty incredible to, uh, to do, and thank goodness that the technology is there to make it a little bit easier than it used to be in the past. Yeah, I, I think wrestling has evolved, evolved in, in a lot of ways, and I think every year when we put together the list together, um, you start to realize it, and, and a lot of things, I don't want to say they're irrelevant, but, but it, it's changing, and I think you touch on it. One of the things is activity, right? I mean, it, it used to be um, pretty cut and dry. Either you're, you're act enough, active enough to make the list, or you're not. But now, um, even the way... Uh, different wrestling promotions and and very high pro- profile wrestling promotions operate. A lot of them don't put on a lot of shows. So so we used to kind of give you know uh, impact. It, it would sort of uh, work against them that they work so infrequently. And in a way, it, it still does. But I think even in WWE, you're seeing moving away from that live event model and more toward a television model. And when you're producing television, you might not be that active because you might tape a bunch at once and uh, air it over a long time. And you look at Lucha Underground, I think Lucha Underground is only now starting to air um, the season four, I think. And this stuff was taped in 2016. So how do you yeah, account for that nightmare. in, in uh, the PWI 500? That out because what we've been pretty much trying to do is, uh, and this, I think across the board, um, we, we report on things as they happen, not when they air. Yeah. So, um, you know, we'll report on title changes in Lucha Underground or matches in Lucha Underground when they happen. So the thing is, like, we're talking about things or, or ranking or basing our rankings upon what happened, you know, as of press time and not when people are reading. You know, it's not keeping up with the, the TV product because who knows when things are going to air. We can only go by when the matches actually occur. And, yeah, I mean, it, we're in an Internet era where a match a taping happens and those results get out. Um, we can't really sit on them for two years and, and, you know, wait until it airs on television. So Lucha Underground is, is an, a headache in all sorts of ways, right? Because you get guys who have totally people. different yeah. uh, identities over there and uh, it's just really wacky, but uh, it's fun. You know, it, it, it's a, a great it, doing this. And I think the podcast, this is the case too. So much of it is WWE centric, and that's just the reality of, of writing and report about reporting about wrestling in the United States. Uh, but it forces you to take more of a global look, and uh, that's a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, being able to dig in a little bit more um, with some of the top Japan stars, Japanese stars, and, and not just uh, New Japan, which is 
gotten a lot of notoriety, but watched some all Japan stuff. I wasn't all that familiar with uh, Kento Miyahara and uh, watched some mm-hmm. of his stuff. And uh, wow, that guy's fantastic. So I think a really fun uh, PWI 500. And, and my take this year, not, not to give too much away, uh, but it deals with something that, you know, I just brought up this whole issue of activity and the difference between uh, being active and having momentum, right? And, and um, the fact that it, at least as far as the PWI 500 is concerned, nearly as important as what you do over the year is when you do it. And uh, inevitably, uh, finishing strong here in, in near the end of the, the grading period, the last few months, uh, is going to help you quite a bit versus having a real strong few months at, at the beginning of the grading period and then maybe trailing off. And so uh, that's really interesting. You know, so as much as we have this criteria that is meant to uh, keep it as objective as possible, um, inevitably, there is some some subjectivity and kind of um, what you've seen recently, what have these people done recently, and, and inevitably that's going to go to the top of the conversation when we get together and, and we talk about it. So uh, a real fun list that will be out uh, later this year. Uh, but first, as I mentioned, the October issue, I want to go and check that out right now. There's also a feature in there about uh, Bruno San Martino uh, and a lot more. So again, pwi-online.com uh, is the one place to go. Uh, to pick up the one issue, subscribe, whatever you want, listen to the podcast, all our social media stuff is there, so uh, go there and uh, check it out. Uh, Dan, actually don't have a whole lot to, to talk about here for, for once, even since we last talked, <laughs> it's been uh, a, kind of a slow few weeks. Uh, having said that, there there definitely been some, some stories, unfortunately some of them have been uh, really tragic ones, we lost Vader since we last talked. Uh, we lost Matt Capitelli, who who was actually one of our guests um, early in the podcast. I just pulled up that interview uh, before we talked, and uh, yeah, heartbreaking hearing him. T- this was in between having beat uh, cancer the last time and before it came back, and uh, hearing him talk about how bad it could have been and how he narrowly avoided this tragedy, and 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 to know that uh, his life was taken at, at 38 years old, just just heartbreaking. Um, why, why don't we talk a bit about Vader? You know, um, I grew up watching Vader, uh, largely in, in WCW. I know he had as impressive, if not m- uh, a more impressive, uh, of a career in, uh, Japan. Um, wh- what do you think about, you know, what, what his legacy is, how he should be remembered? He was one of the best big men of, of his era. Um, which I mean, is, is not there were a lot of big men in his era, um, but he had the legitimate toughness. He had the athleticism and the agility. Uh, what he was doing in all Japan was really just incredible. Uh, it was a big guy who had the imposing stature who got a great gimmick with big Van Vader. And he originally had the elephant mask, the, 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 you know, fire or the smoke shooting mask and everything that he'd come out with. Uh, it was really bigger than life. And WCW wisely brought him in and let him be big Van Vader and just be stiff and, and work hard. And people complained about it, but they didn't change it because this is who he is and this is what we want. This works. And uh, he came in, had some amazing rivalries with, well, Mick Foley, but Sting and a few others in WCW. 
that was really the pinnacle of his career, I think. Um, his WWE run, WWF run at the time, uh, was disappointing, to say the least, uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but that really shouldn't take away from the fact that he was just this incredible athlete, a legitimate athlete, a former football player uh, who had the ability and agility to be doing moonsaults and things like that, uh, where nobody else his size was doing anything like that. I mean, you compare him at the time, it was a little bit different, but uh, a couple of years later from when he was having his, his high point in all Japan, you had Yoko Zuna um, mm-hmm. in, in WW, the WWF. And Yoko, again, a, a great athlete, big man himself, but you look at what Yoko was doing, which is very, very basic. And he was about 100 pounds heavier than Vader at that time. But Vader was coming off the ropes, running the ropes, coming off, you know, doing so many other things. And he was setting the bar so much higher for what a super heavyweight could be than what anybody else is doing. And uh, I think that's really what, what will be his true legacy. At least as a wrestler. Yeah. I think he's an interesting guy that um, held in in very high regard by fans and wrestlers, um, particularly ones who didn't work with him. Uh, And and not to say that he wasn't well-respected by those who did, but he also was a guy who who absolutely uh, rubbed some people the wrong way, people didn't want to work with. And I yep. think it's for the same reasons that he um, was so appreciated by fans. And frankly, it's because he stiffed the hell out of people, right? He, he made it look incredibly realistic. And as a fan, it's what made his matches so compelling. Um, you know, again, be, being a kid and seeing his matches with uh, Mick Foley or Sting or Ric Flair and, and, and Starcade. And I remember, I mean, you'd be watching. And, and I think even as a little kid, I was sort of smart to what was going on. Um, but Vader matches kind of threw all that out the window because here he is with a guy in the corner and he's just boxing his ears in with those forearms in the corner. I mean, just, just rattling a guy, uh, uh, back and forth. I remember seeing their heads kind of just whipping back and forth and there was nothing fake about that. Um, and you know, people who, who don't watch wrestling, they might see that and they say, Oh, how does he do that? Well, he does that by doing that. Right. I mean, just by beating the hell out of that guy. Um, and it's not a lot of fun. So, you know, so, so it's weird. Um, there are people and, and, and people who I respect a lot who would say that that's not being a good worker, you know? Uh, but from the the standpoint of the person who is watching who is being entertained it was damn entertaining right there's there's a difference uh, and I, I agree I understand what you're saying with that one um, and, and it was something as you were saying that it made me think of him and somebody we'll talk about in a little bit but he was really kind of the Brock Lesnar of his era mm-hmm. he was just like a big strong intimidating bully of a character and it, it was money now the thing is. He was stiff. He laid it in stiff, just like Stan Hansen did, and he worked with Stan Hansen famously in, in Japan. Stan Hansen popped his eye out of his socket in a match in all Japan. <laughs> Vader's eye came out of his socket, and he pushed it back in and kept oh, going with the match. But just like Hansen and, and Steve Williams and, and the other guys who were coming up in that era, they worked stiff. They, they hit hard, but they hit hard in a safe way they might rattle the head a little bit more than is acceptable now, now that we know what we do about concussions and post-concussion syndrome and things like that. But for the most part, they were laying it in, in parts of the body that it it was going to bruise you up, but it wasn't going to hurt you. They weren't going to break bones. They weren't going to cause severe damage. 
um, it was stiff but safe. Um, you knew that you were in a fight. You, you were bruised up and beaten up and sore afterwards, but you could still wrestle the next day. Um, that's, that's the difference. He wasn't careless. He didn't take risks with other people's bodies. I know he did break uh, Foley's it was his back or his neck with that power bomb on the floor. I think it was his back. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Joe Thurman, I, I think that was the other wrestler he, he injured. Um, so yes, he did injure a couple people. No, he did He broke Joe Thurman's back fully. I think just had a concussion when he gave him the power bomb on the floor. Did, did he um, lose his ear in a match with Vader? Was that a Vader match? I think it was, it was, it was, but it wasn't because of Vader. That's because Foley went into the ropes, yeah. did the hangman spot where he flipped over and it was a German ring where the ring ropes were tighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he tried to squeeze through. Uh, I think Vader was there trying to like help him through or try whatever, you know, whatever. But it, it basically Jack, the cactus Jack ripped off his own ear because it got caught in the rope. But that wasn't Vader per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by and large, th- there were some injuries that happened. And, and I mean, these things happened. Steve Austin broke Masachono's neck and Owen Hart then broke Steve Austin's neck. And I mean, things happen. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean somebody's an unsafe worker. But I think that Vader was stiff, but for the most part, very safe. It's just that he was going to make it look as real as humanly possible. Uh, uh, a real uh, tragedy. Um, you touched on, on Brock Lesnar. Why don't we talk about him uh, a little bit? I was watching UFC this past um, Saturday night, and it was uh, the most fun 10 minutes uh, I've had watching any kind of combat sports in a long, long time from Daniel Cormier's uh, win, being a two-weight world champion. Um, and then that whole exchange with Brock Lesnar uh, was so money. And, you know, some of the MMA purists didn't like it that much. And you hear, uh, oh, it was so pro wrestling thrown in. Uh, but yep. it was fantastic. It made you want to see that fight. But what does that mean for, for WWE, which is what uh, we'd be here to talk about, um, is... You know, WWE actually promoted it on their website that he made that appearance and, and got into it with the with the heavyweight champion. Uh, you know, do you think that this uh, uh, lends credence to you know the the thought that he's not long for WWE? And and I know his uh, the word is that his contract expires relatively soon. Uh, is he just go right back to to UFC? Does he try to do both? He he did that a couple years ago when he wrestled. Uh, uh, Randy Orton and and Mark Hunt in UFC within the span of a couple of weeks. Um, you know, where do you think this all goes? Right now, I think the thing is, uh, Brock can do whatever he wants to do because um, to use a, a line that John Cena used, I think talking to Roman Reigns a while back, you know, like, I'm not holding you down. You haven't stepped up. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of these things where um, nobody else has stepped up to, to be the next Brock Lesnar. I know Lesnar is a, a, a very special attraction. There, there hasn't been anything like Lesnar really since Andre the Giant. Somebody that you don't need to have all the time. You don't need to have a storyline. But you, when he's there on the card, people are going to come out because he's not there all the time, and it's a big deal, and the guy is bigger than life. Um, he's certainly 100 times a better athlete than Andre ever was. Um, but uh, he is that kind of – he transcends the sport. Um, so – he can keep doing whatever he wants to do and keep wrestling in WWE until that mystique and that aura is shattered. And the way that can be shattered is if he goes out and goes into, I don't think it's going to happen against Cormier. I would still consider 
I think I'm in the minority on this among a lot of UFC aficionados, but I would consider Lesnar in the favorite in that fight. Uh, I think he would take Cormier pretty pretty quickly. Um, but uh, again, I've been hearing a lot of people who, like you had mentioned, were rubbed the, the wrong way. These these MMA guys are like, oh, it's too much pro wrestling. It's too you're cutting promos. It's it's I don't like it. I, I don't care for it. But Lesnar can do whatever he wants as long as he can still draw money. Uh, the day he steps into the, the octagon and has a showing like CM Punk and just gets manhandled and, and really exposed, that's the day that his pro wrestling money and, and, and marketability drops. And that's when it's like, okay, maybe he can get into MMA full-time. Maybe he can, I don't know, do acting, do something. But mm-hmm. that's when his wrestling career comes to an end. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. He's had losses, but he still managed to maintain that mystique. And I think yeah, he actually the same hasn't won a match uh, in MMA, I think, in eight years. Now, he, he beat Mark Hunt a couple of years ago, but ended up being overturned and ruled a no contest because yeah, he popped for a PD. But, I mean, he did win that match, but officially yeah. he hasn't won uh, a match in, yeah, eight years and lost two of his last three, I think. Actually, no, I yeah, yeah, even, even if you uh, count the no contest. So, uh, yeah, but unquestionably, you know, and, and you get the MMA purists who say so-and-so deserves a title shot more, been climbing up the ranks, um, and, and again, dismissing all this as, as pro wrestling. You know, and, and uh, uh, as a fan of the two sports, more often than not, I'm arguing what WWE or pro wrestling can learn from MMA. Um, but here's a, a situation where I think actually MMA could learn something for from pro wrestling and maybe not even really modern pro wrestling or, or WWE because frankly, um, I don't think WWE does this enough, but but it is about the the you know being able to manufacture hype uh, for yeah. uh, a fight and and actually Bellator, which UFC's competitors a little bit, and sometimes they go overboard with the pro wrestling stuff. Uh, but, yeah, there's nothing wrong with a good shoving match inside a, an octagon or uh, a little bit of, of conflict or, or hostility at a press conference or, or something like that. And um, it, it, it's crazy how people get, get down on it. I mean, if you, I don't know who could watch that and not think it was huge money. And uh, I think the, the MMA purists, including MMA fighters, too much, almost handle it too much like a sport, you know, and uh, forget that at the end of the day, what you're trying to sell is a fight, you know, and watching two guys want rip each other's heads off. Uh, and the fact is that that Brock Lesnar and Daniel Cormier are, are friendly, you know, and, and know each other's families. And if you hear DC talk about it, you know, Brock's posed with his kids uh, for pictures at WB shows and things like that. Um, but who cares? I mean, that's that's not what you're selling. What you're selling is a fight, and I think Brock Lesnar knew exactly what he's doing, and I think he's uh, brilliant for for doing it. Um, yeah, if everything the, about that promo made me want to see the fight. I yeah. mean the, the, the swearing, the the, the kind of the, there was one corner man who, who kind of ran at Brock from behind yeah. and kind of pushed him, and then Brock pushed Cormier, and Cormier <laughs> yeah, said the thing crazy. like, you know, you push me now, I'll put you to sleep later. Yeah, and then it's great. The camera lens. And DC and, and is Joe uh, Logan getting visibly upset about it. Yep. Like, I mean, that's perfect. That's that's that makes it exciting. That and you know, um, an an angle of the story that that I don't think has really been addressed too much is the pro wrestling potential here. 
Um, Daniel Cormier is a huge WWE fan. You know, he's been on, uh, I've heard him on, uh, I think, Jim Ross's podcast, talking WWE and storylines and psychology. And, you know, he you, you could often see him front row at, at uh, wrestling shows. He was there at, uh, was it Fastlane earlier this year, where, where Ronda Rousey uh, debuted there in the front row. He was at WrestleMania. Uh, he's a big, big wrestling fan. And I've heard some people ask him, you know, would he come over to WWE? and uh, work with Brock Lesnar. And he said, absolutely, he'll do it. And um, a week ago, I don't know that WWE would have been interested uh, in anything like that because Cormier wasn't really a name. Uh, but if if you're able to tell a story that they have their match in the octagon, right, and then have another uh, a rematch, in quotes, in WWE, uh, a worked match, I mean... Th- there's so few situations where you can really do that. Um, I think this is one that you could. And uh, yeah. DC has said that you know he he plans to retire from MMA um, in March. He'll only be 40 years old. If he wants to, he could absolutely get a go at it in in WWE. I'm sure they would bring him in for a one-off or a, or a couple matches. And the potential there, you know, for uh, I don't again. I don't know another situation where you could do something like that. Have a super fight across essentially two different sports. Um, you know, the booking would be interesting how how you would book that, but that's the least of it. I mean, you could always, you know, double DQ or something. Uh, but but I think this has got a lot of legs, and I actually think it helps Lesnar in WWE because I think we've talked about it here. He's kind of uh, cooled a little bit uh, as of late. You know, I I think. That WrestleMania match against Roman Reigns was such a stinker, and, and not that it was a bad match, but it just left uh, such a bad taste in people's mouths. Um, and then you know the the rematch against Saudi Arabia, and that we haven't seen him since. He he actually uh, you know talking about momentum. I think he lost a whole lot of it in WWE, and I think this kind of puts him back on the radar and reminds the world, you know. Um, how great this guy is and what a, what a beast he is. And I think makes people want to see him more in WWE now. Um, so what do you do with him? And, you know, I, I, the, 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 the big feud right now is Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley. It looks like the winner will get um, that, Brock Lesnar. Really it looks like that might feud. be Lashley. Is, hmm? is that really a big feud? I mean, it is the feud. A, I mean, WWE's featuring it, but is anybody excited about seeing no. Bobby Lashley against Roman Reigns? It's just, it's like, you couldn't, I mean, they both have amazing bodies, right? But you couldn't find two more bland, dull <laughs> wrestlers if you tried. And, uh, and then you look at somebody yeah. like Brock Lesnar, who just went in the ring and, and cut a little promo and, and had the world excited. And he doesn't even cut promos in WWE. Like, he doesn't even bring that count to the table yeah. because Paul Heyman does the talking for him. And it's like, Brock Lesnar, that guy's got charisma. That guy's a superstar. That guy's money. Roman Reigns, Bobby Lashley, wow, they're not good. Yeah. They're just not good. They don't have that. They well, what do you think about Lashley in particular and the, and the prospect of him and Lesnar? Because there's a lot of talk that that's where they're going to end up going, maybe that's SummerSlam. Um, and, and maybe, just as we talked about, uh, being able to tell that story with uh, Lesnar and Cormier down the line, I think they might be trying to kind of tell a similar story with Lashley in that they're both – uh, pro wrestlers turned MMA fighters turned pro wrestlers, you know. You know, here's the thing. I, I, I think uh, Dan Severin's the wrong way of saying it because Dan Severin 
was was a very very good UFC fighter and true fighter. His wrestling character was a little bit bland, mm-hmm. but all that you could say about Dan Severin as a, a pro wrestler was, oh, he's an MMA guy. Like that was that was it. He didn't have any other personality of his own. He had the Tom Selleck mustache and a little bit about it, you know, kind of the dad bod, and and that's it. Um, Lashley has a superhuman physique. He's a former NCAA wrestler, um, but he also doesn't have a personality. Like, he, I mean, the best thing that you can say about him is like, oh, he he did some shoot fighting. Uh, he was in Impact for a while. Yeah, I mean, he's just there's nothing there. And the great wrestlers, the, the good wrestlers are the ones who you don't have to go into their backstory to, to say who they are or establish what they are. You know, Steve Austin, he's, he's the rattlesnake. He, he's don't trust anybody. He's the Austin 316, the rock, uh, Shawn Michaels, is a heartbreak kid. He's, he's, they, they create a persona and character that's bigger than life, regardless of their past accomplishments. And you get these other guys like a Bobby Lashley. And it's just like, Oh no, he's just, I don't know. He's, big he's a good wrestler and he's done a little bit of like shoot fighting at, at, at a mediocre level all right well that's that's really nothing yeah yeah if um this is the end of, of brock lesnar's run run and uh that's a big if right we we don't know um but in as much as the thought was was always um in the end Lesnar's got to create someone, right? So that's sort of the idea of having Lesnar go on this tear for the last, uh, whatever it's been, six years, where uh, for the most part, he's destroyed his competition. He's had a couple of losses here and there, but mostly he's run over everybody. Um, And the thought was always, again, the payoff of this is that guy that finally conquers uh, Brock Lesnar is uh, made a star. Maybe we see that at SummerSlam. Maybe it's... um, I can't imagine it's Bobby Lashley. Maybe it is. Uh, it, it very well could have been Roman Reigns. you think they would have done that by now. Uh, but regardless, if this is the end of Brock Lesnar's uh, WWE run, uh, was it worth it? Was, was this uh, money and capital well spent over uh, the last year, last six years? And, and is, you know, putting aside if he created anyone, just having Lesnar as a featured attraction for the last six years, all the terrific performances uh, he's given, is that in and of itself, does that make it worth it? I would say it, it's not that it's a direct causation on this, but it, it is really the bottom line. Look at WWE stock price. Mm-hmm. It's the highest it's ever been. It's, it's, it's had this huge gains this quarter. Now, certainly that's not entirely because of Brock Lesnar as a champion, but he's not hurting the business having that title. Um, it, they're, they're doing better than they ever have. And here's this guy who's wrestling a few times a year, and he's drawing when he does compete, and people are interested, and they're talking about him. And he's delivering good matches, um, you know, better matches against people other than Roman Reigns, but um, still he, he's delivering. So yeah, I think it, it it's paid out. I mean, WWE has has put a boatload of money in Brock Lesnar, but the company is valued higher than it's ever been. So I, I don't think that they could possibly be upset about that. Um, I think though, like you said, the main end game at this point is to have an out. Um, use this to get somebody else over. 
The Undertaker had his his undefeated streak at WrestleMania for all those years mm-hmm. and lost, and it, it didn't really do anything because it, it, it passed the torch to Brock Lesnar. So they, they whiffed on that opportunity to make the next big star. The last opportunity now is, is for somebody to be the one who beats Brock Lesnar. And if it's Roman Reigns, it's not. It's going to be anticlimactic because he's failed so many times before. He's damaged goods. If it's Bobby Lashley, okay, but it's the first time they've ever faced off. They, they haven't even had any kind of buildup. It doesn't make any kind of sense. So they kind of whiff on that one too. Hopefully they'll find somebody and, and find a way to make this really work out where somebody uh, has that career-making win and beats Brock Lesnar. Yeah. But even if they don't, I think WWE is happy with the investment they've made in them. Braun Strowman could be that guy, maybe. Um, he's got the uh, the briefcase. Uh, he's got some youth um, and an upside, and maybe a little bit more of a ceiling than uh, either Lashley or Reigns, because fans actually like him. Um, and they've gone so far in establishing him as this this unstoppable, powerful force that he is the kind of guy that maybe they put over uh, a Brock Lesnar. You know, whether in the long term he is the guy. You know, the other thing I wonder is whether, you know, if WWE was maybe thinking, all right, we've kind of gotten what we're going to get out of uh, Brock, and uh, now this contract extension is coming to the end, and uh, maybe this is a good time to get out. I wonder if they reconsider that, uh, given now, again, the, the momentum he's captured off of this latest UFC thing. Um, I wonder if they maybe say, no, we want to stay in the Brock Lesnar business. And... My God, you see the size of him next to Dan Cormier? I mean, it, it, it's hard to think yeah, that they're in the same, you know, weight category. You know, he's going to have to cut weight, I would think. And I think he actually has in the past, but cut a fair amount of weight to make heavyweight, <laughs> which, which I think there's a 265-pound ceiling. And Brock looks every bit, I don't know, 315, 320. I mean, he's just ridiculous. Yeah, he, he looks like a monster, and that's. But again, that's the aura. It's it's. Yeah. You know, that's why he's special. But yeah, it's uh, it's 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 very interesting to see where they go, uh, where he goes from here. Yeah, my kid asked me the other day, "Is that his real name?" And it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he really is a guy. He's a cartoon character. I mean, it's. It, yeah, I mean, this guy was absolutely born to be exactly what he is, right? I mean, just this absolute wrecking machine, and uh, you know, the guy's forty years old now, and as you said, still has that aura and uh, still has uh, uh, the ability to make a lot more money uh, in whatever he chooses to do over, over at least two different sports. So uh, honestly, really good for him. I mean, and to touch on Andre the Giant, some others, the, the sport's always been about attractions and he is a true attraction, you know, so um, he, he's a guy the I think we're really going to miss. Yeah, he's a guy we're really going to miss when he's gone. So... All right, Dan, we've been out of here for a while. Uh, thanks so much. Um, we will be back soon. We've, we've got a backlog of really fantastic interviews uh, to get to, so I think we could be doing a lot of recording over the coming weeks. I think we're coming up on our 100th episode. That might be our, our next it's episode. coming up soon, yeah. Yeah, I think this might be 99 even, so uh, pretty soon. Yeah, we got to do something special for that. All right, Dan, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, right now, let's hear from uh, one of the men featured in the new documentary, 350 Days, uh, which will be in theaters uh, this week. Uh, go check it out. It is Lanny Poffo, the genius. 
and just want to talk to you a bit about your involvement um, in the movie. Can, can you tell me a bit about how the project came your way and, and why uh, you were interested in taking part? It's because of my friendship with Evan Ginsberg mm-hmm. for many, many years. So um, he asked me if I would be in it, and I always say yes to Evan Ginsberg. Yeah, yeah, same here. And I know, you know, you've got a reputation for really promoting clean living. Um, and from, from what I've seen of, of the trailers and previews, the movie gets pretty dark, right? I mean, there's a lot of really dark subject matter about uh, life on the road, drug use, that kind of thing. Was that something you were comfortable uh, addressing? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very uh, serious about not taking drugs. But when I, uh, when I go to schools and stuff, uh, when I do my lectures, um, I admit that I took steroids in 1989 when I became the genius uh, because it's more credibility for me if I tell people not to take steroids, if I tell the truth about my own steroid use. Mm-hmm. Is it something you regret? Uh, oh, yeah. I regret it because... Uh, Health is better than wealth any day, and and anything is better. And health is better than wealth and fame. So, uh, but when my reason for doing it was nobody made me do it. By the way, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I be, I was leaping Lanny for five years in the WWE or WWF, and um, they were they were getting rid of me, and then they I I get this. Uh, genius gimmick and I wanted to make it work so I tried to reinvent myself you know and uh, with a different persona a different body everything different you know different uh, hairdo you know and uh, but you, you just uh, that was my one time that I'll admit taking drugs and I use and I do it to, to help the uh, other people say no to drugs yeah yeah. I, I've been watching some of those old matches lately. Uh, I've, I've got to live out of my basement because uh, my floors are getting done. So I only TV I have down there has got a VCR. So I've been watching a lot of old uh, wrestling tapes and, and you've come up on, on a bunch of them. And uh, you, even before I knew I'd be talking to you, I, I've been watching a lot of genius matches and have come to, to really appreciate uh, the gimmick. I mean, when you say you reinvented yourself, um, I think that that's, that's almost an understatement. Um, and uh, thinking back, I mean, I thought it, it really worked, but it didn't last all that long, right? I mean, was it maybe just a year? Because by a few months after that, they, they paired uh, Mr. Perfect with uh, Bob Heenan, and then we didn't see you again. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it's, but it, Okay, but here's, here's my mindset on that. Um, instead of being angry uh, that it didn't last long, um, look at it this way. My career lasted 21 years in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, eight of those years were spent in WWF. Out of those eight years, four months was spent in the main events. So when you think about it, I made 23 appearances in Madison Square Garden, but twice I was in the main events. Yeah. And I know a lot of wrestlers that that A, did not appear in Madison Square Garden, or B, didn't make the main event. You know, we're not all Bruno Sammartino here. Mm-hmm. So, 
So uh, but I've got two appearances at Madison, two two main events at Madison Square Garden. Um, yeah, it, I wish I would have uh, stayed with Mr. Perfect, but uh, you gotta. I really appreciate Bobby Heenan because when they gave me the gimmick, the genius, he could have objected and say, "Hey, that's too close to the brain." Right. And he didn't. He let me do it, and I appreciate it. And I told him uh, many times before he died, "Thank you for letting me be the genius. I know that it's an infringement of you know your personality and the <laughs> brain." Yeah. You know. But that was, I thought that was very nice of him to let me do it. How much direction did you get for the, the genius character? Because I imagine they gave you the cap and gown and said you're going to be the genius. But clearly there, there were so many little things you did that they made it your own. I watched a match with you and Jim Neidhart at Madison Square Garden. And there was a good you know three, four minutes of stalling before the action got started. And clearly the fans are just going, uh, getting so irritated, so uh, annoyed with all your antics stretching at the corner uh, uh, and then prancing out to the middle of the ring. Um, there were all these little, you know, idiosyncrasies that you added that I thought really made it work. And I don't know, how much was that was yours and how much was it uh, direction by WWE? Um, it was all mine, but they could have stopped me. You know, I kept, I kept pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. And then uh, finally Hulk Hogan said, hey, uh, this is getting over, you know, uh, keep doing it. And that's when he got his idea to wrestle me. Because, um, you know, I was, uh, I considered myself to be the only comedian at the time in a very serious business. All the heels were mean, ugly, nasty, rough guys. And uh, they needed one cowardly, uh, effeminate uh, person. You know, um, and I watched, I didn't think that Adrian Adonis got over when he admitted he was gay, um, and he went that gimmick. Um, see, I never admitted I was gay. I always denied being gay. Mm-hmm. And but I acted. I looked like, smelled like, you know, everything seemed gay, and seemed even uh, what do you call it, flamboyant. But um, but I always denied it. I was. If you go on my website, geniuslannypopo.com, and go in the video section, you'll see some of my best memories, and one of them was my appearance on Regis Philbin. And um, I, he said, oh, the way you look at Mr. Perfect, and everybody was, Regis, I'm a monogamous heterosexual. Are you questioning? And I said it as manly as I could, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was always in denial, which is even more fun, because then then the, yell, the crowd yells at you, you act offended, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Was that part your idea? Because there's nothing about a character named the genius who's just supposed to be this, this pompous kind of, you know, smart guy um, that would necessitate this this kind of playing with sexuality and all that. So was it your decision to add that? And, and again, it, it was sort yeah. of subtle. I mean, clearly some of the mannerisms and the prancing were feminine, but there was nothing overtly... Uh, a gay or, or anything, and that, nothing that you do that would suggest that you were into guys or anything. Right, they, but it was like um, a lot of it was, for example, even when I was on steroids, right, uh, I still didn't have the best body in that locker room, you know, because you had, my God, the ultimate warrior, the warlord, the sure, barbarian, yeah. and then you got me. So, <laughs> I, so what I would do is I'd prance around, and then I would go up to a girl at ringside. And then I would vacuum my stomach in, 
yes, and opened my <laughs> opened my robe and and thrust my pelvis. You see what I mean? I and I would hold that yet. pose. And and I would watch the expression of the girl's face. She would laugh her ass off. You see what I mean? <laughs> if, in other words, like look at me, you know, like and and the thing is, the big it was it was so much fun because I acted like I had the best body in wrestling, and you know I didn't because, you know, there was a lot of rich rude, my God, you know what I mean? So, so I was, but I, but I thought I was, had a great body, and I thought I was a genius. What I stole, um, for, for my gimmick, I was, did you ever see the Pink Panther with uh, Peter Sellers? Sure, yeah. Well, it was a one-joke movie. I knew that, you idiot, I was only testing you. You know, so, so I was thinking, boy, I could be Peter Sellers with this gimmick, you know, like not a real genius, but thinks he is. Yeah. Yeah. Because if I was a real genius, I'd be a baby face. Well, did, did, did you ever take any offense that you, uh, and I'm not sure I, I even know if this is the case, but if, if this character was made for you or you were chosen for this character, did you ever take any offense that, that folks in WWE saw this in you? You know, the, the pompous guy who's always out there doing poetry, maybe thinks he's smarter than he really is. Uh, you know, and, and any bit of it that you, that you think was a rib on you? No, I, I was doing all that myself. See, I was listening to the people. And uh, think of it as this way, a cheap pop from the audience. You know what I mean? Just, uh, like, listen, I don't know how to do 20 minutes with uh, Jim Neidhart. You know what I mean? What am I going to do? Get a headlock? You know? I would rather get the people all messed up in their minds and then, you know, run from them and cower and this and that and then cheat and you know how it is. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he didn't have Bret Hart to tag out to. You understand? Yeah, yeah. And so, you, know, you, know, you know who was the better talent between Nightheart sure. and Bret Hart, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't remember um, a ton okay, of great Jim Nightheart matches. You know, Brett would work, Brett would set up the match and everything, and then tag Nightheart, and he would beat the shit out of you. Right up, you know what I mean? It was, yeah. It, but but uh, alone, you know, I I don't want to stink out Madison Square Garden, you know. Mm -hmm. so, so so anyway, um, yeah, I I was the one that did it, and I was waiting for them to stop me, and they never stopped me. Yeah. Did did I say them? I was waiting for them to say, "Hey, this isn't working," but. What, what happened was Hogan liked it, and uh, that's when he told me to turn the dial up uh, to make it even more fun. So that's what I did. did it, was Hogan the one who chose to work with you? Yes, he got to work with anybody he wanted. Which is crazy, um, because before, I, I mean, let, let's be honest, before this character, you were about as low on the WWE totem pole as, as you could be. I mean, you, you would not have been matched up with with Hulk Hogan in, in any uh, real setting. So y you get word not only that you're going to work with Hulk Hogan, but you're going to go over on him on Saturday night's main event. And what's your reaction then at the time? Well, I was, I was booked in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, the day before, uh, two days before uh, WrestleMania. I mean, not uh, the Saturday Night Live uh, main event. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jack Lanza comes up to me and says, uh, here's your tickets, go home, and call Hulk Hogan immediately when you get home. As soon as you're home, call Hulk Hogan. So I, 
You know, I knew that there was, you know, and then, so Hulk Hogan comes over to my house as soon as I called him. And, you know, I got my wife and daughter and, you know, they, they gave us privacy, okay? And uh, Hulk Hogan said, Lanny, we're wrestling in two days. He says, we have a big disadvantage. Uh, a lot of the people I wrestle on NBC, I've wrestled already 30 times, and then we wrestle. That gives us time to get the uh, rust off, you know? And he's, he had the whole match lined up, and then he asked me if I had any suggestions, and I said no. He said, brother, if I don't like the suggestion, we won't do it. But I want to get input from you because I know you're very creative. So the only thing I said was, okay, instead of uh, Mr. Perfect spitting on the belt, have him take gum out of his mouth and stick it on the belt. Mm -hmm. Oh, right, that's what I want to hear. That's, you know what I mean? I like it. I said, okay, on the outside, instead of clubbing you in the back, since I'm, you know, a smaller guy, and since I'm, you know, I'll drop kick you in the back, since I'm one of the few people that can drop kick on the floor because there's no spring in the floor, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't get that extra spring. Mm -hmm. um, and then instead of throwing me outside the ring, I said, body slam me over the top rope. Oh, no, I don't want to hurt you, he says. I said, listen, I'm a gymnast, and as long as I get the top rope and I'm, I'm going to let go at 12 o'clock, you can't hurt me. Because I, a gymnast has kinesthetic sense. He knows where his body is. Uh, the only way you can hurt me is if I don't have the top rope. He says, have you done it before? I said, yes. And he said, okay. If you, he said, it would be great if it's safe. And I said, I guarantee you it's safe, mm -hmm. you know, and I lied. I had never done it before, but I, had, <laughs> I always knew I could do it, you know? And the thing is, even if I would have gotten hurt, um, that was the last responsibility I had in that match. So it doesn't really matter if I get hurt. Plus I knew that this was the most, for him, it was just another match. For me, it was the most important match of my life. Yeah. So I figured, you know, let's take a chance. Um, and I'll go back to being a pussy tomorrow. <laughs> you know, you know, but uh, on NBC, let's let's go for it. Let's take a risk, you know. And I wasn't hurt. I knew I could do it and I did it. Yeah. And and so who who makes the call for, for the finish? What? Uh, Hogan led the whole match. Yeah. And and you went over on that match, right? Yeah. And yeah. a out. Yeah, and, but um, I mean, even even back then, that was a huge deal. Hogan was not losing matches by countout, DQ, anything. No, Hogan didn't lose. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean, what a feather in your cap at the time. Like, that's that's uh, gigantic. Um, and and also, um, no matter what happens, I still feel the gratitude for Hogan. You know, and uh, if he calls me now and wants me to do something, I'm doing it because um, this was the highlight of my career and he gave it to me. Yeah. They could have chosen anybody. They chose me. I have to be grateful. Yeah. Well, I, I never thought of this, but, but I know he and your brother, you know, at, at times had some pretty uh, serious falling fallings out. Um, did, did that put you in a weird position over the years? I mean, feeling some, some affection, some loyalty to Hulk Hogan, but, but also obviously to your brother? Yes, uh, and I'll tell you when it happened. Do you remember Be a Man Hulk, the, the, the uh, movie? The, uh, the rap? Yeah. 
Okay. Um, Randy asked me to uh, write all the rap uh, to write a rap song about Hogan mm-hmm. in a negative way, and I said, uh, "I'm sorry, uh, I can't do that because um, I can't be." I mean, I love you both, but I don't want to. But get somebody else to to not talk Hogan for you. I can't do it. Yeah, you know, and uh, the only song I wrote on that album was The Perfect Friend about Kirk Hennig. Mm-hmm. And uh, he sang it, you know, if, if singing, if, if you call that singing. But, um, you know, I just couldn't, I can't be, he put me in the middle and I said, I can't do it. I refuse to uh, do something against Hogan. Yeah. You know, and uh, he understood. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, was, was he close to to Kurt Hennig also? Yeah, everybody liked Kurt. Yeah, yeah. What you know, you, you talk about Hulk Hogan's contributions to to the genius. Uh, how much um, did did Mister Perfect uh, contribute to that character? How much of a help was he when when you were coming up with that character? Well, believe it or not, you know, when Kurt Hennig came to the WWF. Um, I was the guy that got every heel over to, you know, when they first came in, which is a very important thing, you know, really, because as a team player. Yeah. So, so I wrestled Kurt Henning maybe 20 times at different towns, you know. Um, and uh, Randy says, man, you're having great matches with him. And he said, how good is he? And I said, you wouldn't believe it. He's smooth as silk. He's, this, this guy's fantastic. You know, and you, know, you could feel that. And, you know, he would never hurt you. He would always thank you for everything. Uh, he would make you look good before he beat you. You know, he was just terrific. And uh, what a nice person. And uh, boy, do I hate drugs, you know, because he died of acute yeah. cocaine overdose, you know. Um, and I didn't even know he was struggling with that. I had no Maybe he wasn't, you know. And then later on, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, did was the issue there with with the pairing and and the reason? Because now that I think about it, you know, you guys were a lot of fun together, but you both demanded a lot of attention. So was that the issue that, um, you know, were were there concerns that you were kind of stealing his heat, that kind of thing? That I was upstaging him. Yeah. Um, I if if that was true, I don't know that. Okay, I'll tell you. You know, you asked me if I was uh, mad about Bobby Heenan taking over for me. Um, you know, I'm a human being. Of course, I'm really interested in how I'm doing long term. Um, I'll tell you what really got my goal. Um, it was on NBC. It was in Detroit. They were setting up WrestleMania three. They needed Andre the Giant. Uh, he was like a famous babyface. They needed him. They put him with Heenan, but they wanted him to be even more of a villain. So they chose me in a battle royal in, mm-hmm. on NBC to get headbutted, to cut myself, and get thrown over the top rope. I remember that vividly. That, that's one of the, the lasting memories of, of kind of watching wrestling as a kid was that visual because it was, I mean, in, in a pretty colorful, lighthearted WWF at the time, that was some pretty serious business. Yeah, and you know, they chose me to do it, and I did my very best. And, 
And then um, when I got back to the locker room and I couldn't stop the bleeding, um, there's only only my brother, Rick Martell, and, and Rene Goulet were interested in helping me. And nobody thanked me, and my and I didn't even I wasn't even on the card in Pontiac Silverdome. Yeah. So uh, I'm just a human being. I felt a little bit. I said, "Well, now I know how it is when you date a girl, she puts out, and you don't call her back." Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine you were in, found yourself in that position a lot over the years because for for so much of your WWF career, you know, the fact is you are an enhancement talent, right? And 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 you seem to be. Okay with that, and and I know that in in wrestling that that's a position that is extremely valuable. But I guess most people don't really aspire to, right? Because you, you can spend most of your career on your back. Did did you have you know? W- were you always just okay with it? Did, did somewhere along the line did you realize this is my my calling in life, or were you you always hoping to kind of climb out of that? And I guess to some extent you did with with the genius character. Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, uh, this is, uh, your name is Al, right? Yes. Okay, I'm going to give you the honest answer. You do with it what you want, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm a human being. Yes, I felt some resentment. Yes, sometimes I felt I was being underutilized. But, okay, when a lawyer called me on the phone, okay, about five years ago, I don't remember, and asked me if I wanted to join the class action lawsuit against Vince for concussions. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this? I am, yes. I said, no, I've never had a concussion. The guy said, it doesn't matter. You can still make money by putting your name on this list. And then when we settled, I said, look, uh, first of all, uh, nobody held a gun to my head to make me a professional wrestler. Number two, if I ever got a concussion, it certainly wasn't anybody's fault but my own. And number three, uh, you ever heard of John Grisham? Sure. Yep. Al? The author. Yep. There's a, there's a book, uh, King of Tort. I remember um, it. Yep. I read it. If, if, and that'll, that'll tell you that nobody gets rich in a class action lawsuit except the lawyers. Mm-hmm. So them waving money, okay, so... If I was going to get revenge on the WWF for making me an enhancement talent um, before I got my break and then putting me back on that, you see what I mean? Yeah. That's in case I had malice in my heart. That's yeah. not the revenge I was going to get. I also didn't want to take a plane and fly it into the WWE building <laughs> in Stanford, Connecticut. Okay? Right. <clears throat> yeah. But my revenge is health, wealth, and freedom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm. I look. Re- I'm going to be 64 in December. I look reasonably good for 64, and I'm very, very healthy. And I, uh, I moved to a place that is walking distance to Whole Foods and the gym. That's how much I consider importance of health. Uh, the wealth part. Um, I'm. I've been retired for 10 years because my passive income is greater than my expenses. Mm-hmm. I, it's. Even though I'm never going to be in the Hall of Fame, um, there are some people that take their Hall of Fame ring and sell it to buy groceries. You understand? Yes. Okay, yeah. so I'm in better shape than a lot of these Hall of Famers. <laughs> and number two, uh, that's my revenge, uh, health, wealth, and freedom. Yeah. 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 And and- 
Go on. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. And, and when you mentioned the Hall of Fame, <clears throat> first of all, I, I don't know, I mean, given given the WWE Hall of Fame and, and sort of the lack of real criteria, I don't know that's a given that you wouldn't be in. You know, I mean, there's <clears throat> there's certainly a precedent with guys like Coco Beware and Johnny Rods, guys who, uh, again, made their their careers, making other guys look good. And and the one thing that, that I think that really does make you something of a, of a, a pioneer, I mean, among other reasons, uh, and you touched on it, was your... Uh, the 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 acrobatic style, the uh, the stuff that today is so commonplace, right? With um, popularized in, in the indie scene, the high flyers, the aerial stuff. But when you were doing it, certainly in WWF, there was none of that. <clears throat> and and again, some of these matches that I I watched as of late, when you would do uh, a a somersault off the top rope or, or some kind of aerial man- maneuver, um, the announcers didn't even really know what to say. And sometimes you got a sense that they were kind of looking down on it, right? Like, um, this isn't serious business, but clearly you were ahead of your time. And I remember as a kid, uh, when I'd see something like that, thinking, well, that's really cool. That, that's exciting. But it just wasn't happening at the time. So um, can you talk a bit about, about your philosophy back then in incorporating that in your style and what you think about it even now? Because even, even today, there's a debate raging about how much of that is wrestling, you know, when you see guys like Ricochet and Will Ospreay who do these amazing aerial maneuvers and and kind of uh, gymnastics in the ring, but there's always those those kind of purists <clears throat> who, again, they, they kind of look down on that and say that, you know, we're supposed to be simulating fighting and that doesn't look like fighting. Yeah, I've heard that a million times, and here's my theory, okay? Um, my brother's opinion was and, you know, he's the greatest, that's a, one of the greatest workers ever. And he was very opinionated, and he felt that since that wrestling is always searching for authenticity, because we are not real, right? Mm-hmm. So anything that you can do to prove that you're an athlete is good. Anything you can do that you prove that you're not an athlete is bad. In my day, we had a lot of fat people who would dig into their trunks, pull out a foreign object, and jab you with it. Yeah. Not even for the finish. Now, that's not athletic, is it? No. <laughs> okay. But that's what the norm was. So, my idea was, screw the norm. I'm going to be different. It's better to be uh, peculiar. Terry Funk told me, uh, it's, it's better to be peculiar than good. If you'll make more money with peculiar, you know, and uh, I consider Terry Funk to be, you know, like a great, uh, you know, when he talks, you better listen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He he was like amazing guy. So um, yeah, some people knocked it, but screw them. You know what I mean? It's, this <laughs> is what I had. Yeah. Uh, you work with what you got. I was a I was a former gymnast, not a great gymnast, but big for my, good for my size, and. Uh, you know, it, it makes me happy when people like um, uh, Rob Van Dam uh, tell, tells everybody that when he was a boy growing up in uh, uh, in Michigan, uh, where we're in Michigan, let me think. Uh, Battle Creek. Was it Battle Creek or Kalamazoo? One of those two. <laughs> yeah, he, that, uh, he liked me the best and he wanted to be like me. 
you know, that makes me happy. And then, you know, uh, I was recently in Ring of Honor. Did you know that? Yeah. I, did you work the match there? No, but I uh, I came in and did a little managing of uh, Jay Lethal. Okay. And I don't know if that's going to continue or just a, just a cameo. But um, He's the, uh, the heavyweight not, champion now. Yeah, but some people are. Uh, Jay Lethal's a champ now, right? Yeah, he just yeah. won it back. Uh, who did he beat for that? He beat uh, Dalton Castle. Okay, some people... Uh, What was I going with this? I can't. I'm getting a little. Let's see, uh, <laughs> uh, what, what was I asking you about? Uh, um, oh, some people. Some people are knocking me. Like I heard that uh, I was. I had an interview, and he said, "What are you about the people that knock the young buck?" So who? I said, yes. "Who knocks the young buck?" And they said, uh, uh, "It was um, what's his name, uh, Jimmy Cornette, in his okay. podcast." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, what did he say about them? He said they do too many high spots." Yeah, that, that's a perfect well, example of what I'm talking about, the, the criticism that they get. Yeah, and it's similar to what you dealt with. I said, well, if you're a purist and you love wrestling, that's one thing. But if you're, but they're still selling tickets. And uh, in 30 minutes, they sold 10000 mm-hmm. in Chicago for the all-in thing. So I would go with the, I wouldn't, I don't knock the success in a few there's more than one way to skin a cat, you know, yeah. and uh, they sold out all in. I think that's pretty good in 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so I go... wouldn't dare knock them. I think they're fantastic <laughs> athletes, and, uh, you know, I I like the high-flying style. Yeah. I'm not one of the guys. I don't want to be one of the fat guys knocking it. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, one, one of the knocks on, on it is um, for the – the long-term well-being of the wrestlers themselves with the thought that um, they, they put their body on the line maybe more than most doing some dangerous maneuvers. But uh, as you touched on, you're, you're in great health. So, so you managed to, to do both over the years, do the high-risk stuff, um, and yet stay healthy. Yeah, that's true. Um, the, only, the only thing that I uh, got hurt on was from the – I was big boss man's uh, – uh, enhancement talent, and we were in Newfoundland, and the, uh, he did that Bubba Slam thing, and that yeah. hurt my neck, and I had to keep taking it and taking it and taking it, even though I hurt my neck. So, so let's go full circle back to, to the movie, uh, which is what we're supposed to be talking about. Um, and uh, again, the, the, the movie seems to, to deal in a lot of dark subject matter, not, not just drugs, but the grind of the road, the, the, the name 350 Days. Uh, suggests how how often um, wrestlers had to, to work uh, in a year. Um, do, do, you know, and, and I think one of the message of, of the movie, not having seen it yet, is, is that that experience was somewhat universal among wrestlers during that time. Um, do you think it's the case? I mean, when, when you get together with other wrestlers or hear other wrestlers talking about it, you know, did, did everybody have that, that same kind of experience of you know, long uh, days and, and long tours and not being home and uh, the drugs and the womanizing, a lot of the stuff that seems to be discussed in this movie, was that experience, uh, again, a kind of across the board for everyone? Yeah, it was a big cop-out because people get divorced 20 times and they blame the wrestling business. Go in the mirror 
look at yourself. That's who to blame. And as far as the 350 days, it's supply and demand. There's a lot of wrestlers waiting by the phone, hoping for to get a break. And they didn't work 350 days. They worked 10, uh, 15 days. You know what I mean? Uh, out of the year. Um, so it's like, uh, I was very, very happy to be on the road making money. Uh, if I didn't like it, I would stop doing it immediately. You know, uh, when the phone rings, even now, if the price is right, I'll be there tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, I respect the dollar, you know, and uh, I'm retired, but I'm not dead yet. Yeah. You know, so uh, I still, and I don't, I don't take every booking I'm offered, but um, if it's someplace I either haven't been or would like to see again, I go, and if the price is right, I'll go anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes me a whore, I don't think so. It makes me an independent contract. Mm-hmm. Right, which is what you're supposed to be, yeah. And and, and the theme yeah. that you hear a lot with, with uh, again, when wrestlers talk about how difficult the road is, is leaving their family behind. And uh, I think one thing that's interesting about you um, is that to some extent, you, you got to have family with you there, right, and in, in having your brother with you. Um, in in all those years in, in WWF, did that make it more manageable? Uh, uh, again, having having somebody with you um, on the road that was family, that was a piece of home. Yeah, it's yeah a little bit, um, but it was also okay when you know they worked three towns a night, so he wasn't with me every town. So um, I was okay on the road, and uh, nowadays with. Uh, FaceTime, uh, it's it's even better to be away. You know what I mean? It's like you can still keeping in touch has never been easier, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, I got my I got my grandson, uh, you know, and uh, I get to see him anytime by FaceTime, you know. Yeah. And then then I come over, then I go in and then you know, but uh, I don't blame the wrestling business for my divorce. That's that's the main thing. You know, I got a divorce, but that's. Uh, Nobody held a gun to my head to get married either. It's it's interesting. It's in some ways you're uh, you kind of contradict. Uh, I would think a lot of what the message of of other wrestlers in the movies are about uh, uh, how difficult that life is. And not that you're saying that's not difficult, but you're saying um, nobody made me use drugs. And you know the time I you know uh, just in the trailer there was this discussion of everybody in the hotel room doing cocaine together. And I don't know if that's your experience, but, but it sounds like it, it was not. So, uh, you know, do, do you just not buy that you had to submit to a certain lifestyle to be part of that business? Well, many times there was everybody doing cocaine together except me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got to stand for something or you fall for anything. And uh, since all the people doing cocaine together are either dead or dead broke, I'd say I made the right decision. Uh, Lanny, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Al. Appreciate it.